0: You are listening to the Union Smack podcast. This retro review of In Your House 10 was originally released on October the 2nd, 2020, and may include topics both professional and personal that have no impact on the present day. Call the hospital, tighten the straitjacket and pad those walls thick Because the smack is back and this week we're a little unhinged I am as always your host the Maniac Matt Tennant And this week we delve into the traumatic psyche of In Your House 10 mind games Now the good news is that we're about a third of the way through our never ending quest to review every In Your House ever now And I promise you the most disturbing is yet to come, quite literally, because I watch these back to back most weeks and boy have we got some interesting material to go through. Now, before I go into the all the usual MacGuffin's, as you can tell I've still got a cold from a couple of weeks ago. It's not a new cold, it is the same cold, but I record these in your house reviews in advance. So, they're sort of out of sync with the weekly NXT UK reviews that you get now. So, the, the cold I had when I recorded the NXT UK episode 112, I think it was, review in September, is the very same one I have now. So, if I go croaky, if I start coughing, wheezing, if I sneeze sporadically, then you have my apologies. You can find me as always on Twitter at the Perfect Tenant. You can find Travis on Twitter at the Hibiki TMD, unionsmack.bigcartel.com for all your official merchandise from all of Travis's shows, and of course Lulu.com where you can purchase The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, and my new book, NXT UK Year One, that is available now, so it will be appreciated if you could pick up a copy. So here we go then. Cold and all, I've taken my medication and The doors to the asylum are well and truly locked and we are ready to take you on a journey through the 10th instalment of the much-loved pay-per-view series, aren't we Matt? Yes we are, there you go. I'm not paranoid, I just know what they say about me. We are on September the 22nd, 1996 from the Core States Centre in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And your free-for-all match is Savio Vega versus Marty Giannetti. Savio Vega picks up the win here. But unlike most free-for-all matches, this held some sway going into the actual pay-per-view event. Because it had lead into the first match we saw up on broadcast. Now, no one cared about Marty Giannetti in, uh, in 1996. <laughs> unlike now, we cannot get enough of his tweets or his... Facebook and Instagram posts. The guy is a, a gold mine. The gift that keeps on giving all these decades later. But this free-for-all match existed solely to set up Savio Vega versus Justin Hawke Bradshaw. Now, after this match, Bradshaw attacked Savio Vega. And Vega then challenged him to a Caribbean strap match on the main card, as you do. Because, you know, anyone can make the matches now, not just Gorilla Monsoon. But then, several changes had taken place on the WWF creative, and Raw was drawing its lowest numbers in history on a weekly basis, so something had to happen. In Your House 10 Mind Games came fresh off of SummerSlam 1996, which hosted several notable moments which led you into this event and beyond. The first would obviously be Paul Bearer shocking the world and turning on The Undertaker at the culmination of the, uh, the Boiler Room Brawl match. After, I think it's like six long years together. And of course, Shawn Michaels defeating Vader to retain the WWF Championship. And that match is now famous for Shawn refusing to work with Leon White ever again because of his stiff style. And, you know, Shawn didn't like to get his pretty little face ruined, bless him. Because, you know, he's Shawn Michaels backstage WWF were also going through several changes and it was around this time that Vince Russo was promoted from WWF magazine to the WWF creative team I mean why in order to give the product a fresh look and stop it losing weekly to WCW Nitro in the ratings that was basically why they promoted him as history tells us this would take several more years in order for WWF to truly topple their opposition on a regular basis. But as we will see over the coming weeks, Vince Russo actually did a pretty good job to begin with. I know, can you believe it? Savour those words because uh, I don't think you'll be hearing them again after we, uh, we get to halfway through 1997. The event began with a video package to hype the two major storylines coming into this event. Those of course being Mankind's Chase of the WWF Championship and The Undertaker's Never Ending War with the bizarre duo of Goldust and Mankind. Todd Pettingill narrates the video package which began with a look at the main event and including excerpts of Mick Foley talking. Unfortunately, though, we couldn't really hear what he was saying. This video gets really good though when it turns its attention to Shawn Michaels, and Pettingill says that we should pray Shawn can stop mankind and pray for him if he can't. It's a really good line. It's really good. It really gets you you know? And with the well-put-together package, it sends chills up the spine. The logo and graphics for mine games are also very well done for the time and pointed sort of in a change of direction for the company. You know, throughout the entire night we would see what would become the attitude era bleeding through several portions of bouts and angles and you know interviews etc As we come into the newly built arena audible chants of ECW can be heard as WWF a smack bang in the middle of extreme country, Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman can also be seen sat in the front row and remember them, they'll they'll come into play a little bit later on. The first match of In Your House 10 Mind Games is a Caribbean strap match between Savio Vega and Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Now, This feud had been bubbling under the surface of the mid-card for what seemed like forever, and no one gave two shits about it. With Savio Vega having already had several decent matches on pay-per-view over the the past few months, Bradshaw just seemed like a massive come-down, and in truth, this was the extent of the character until he, he, he joined the new Blackjacks. The pair had been involved in sneak attacks and war of words over several weeks and months, And if you joined us for our In Your House 9 International Instant Review last week, then you'll know that Bradshaw defeated Savio Vega in the free-for-all of that event. And at SummerSlam, made his presence known in Savio's match with Owen Hart. And of course, the attack on the free-for-all which led to this bout. It was just what the Pittsburgh natives didn't want to see though. After sitting through nearly six minutes of a dull free-for-all match... You then get another dose of Savio Vega. So you've had him once and now you've got to sit through him again. As Bradshaw makes his way to the ring, we're thrown to Kevin Kelly backstage who is with a severely pissed off Savio Vega. Kelly asks Savio if he was ready and what he got back was a mouthful of pidgin English and rushed Puerto Rican. Savio gabbles his promo and just repeats himself over and over again Whatever the British Bulldog and Brian Pillman were snorting on this night, some of it had clearly found its way into Savio Vega's empenoladas. Savio Vega charges the ring as the match starts, but Bradshaw intercepts him with the strap and begins whipping him hard. Some of the famous JBL temper came out there, you could see it. The fight then spilled out onto the arena floor, where Bradshaw wrapped the strap around the post and choked Vega against the support. That looked decent. This is where things got interesting, however, because what happened next actually was the only intriguing thing about the whole snooze fest. After Vega had yanked the strap and pulled Bradshaw face first into the ring post, the Sandman spat beer onto Savio Vega, and he and Tommy Dreamer then attempted to jump the barrier in order to get themselves on television. Of course, it was all orchestrated and set up through ECW's partnership with WWF at the time. But it didn't stop Bradshaw from looking as if he wanted to hop that rail and knock seven shades of shit out of the ECW stars. He looked so pissed off. I mean, he must have been informed beforehand that this would happen. But still, you know, just go back to ECW's one night stand when he beat the shit out of the blue meanie for no reason at all. Apart from he was drunk and in a mood. Security raced to ringside along with the WWF road agents and carted the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer away. It was a really good spot, actually, which told the story, but it completely distracted from the match in hand, which it was now hampered because 80% of the audience were looking to the ejection. I'm glad I got that word right. I didn't say ejaculation or erection. Rather than, yeah, the bout itself. Not that you can blame them because it was a terrible match. The bout continued... Uh, Dull Bradshaw attempts to touch the buckles and more whipping of Savio Vega until the babyface finally made his comeback with a good spinning heel kick. Vega then attempted to do his own buckle touch but Bradshaw countered it by yanking back on the strap and followed up with a lariat. Just when you thought this couldn't get any worse, right? WWF showed why they were losing to WCW in the ratings and why the crowd preferred the ECW invasion by booking the exact fucking same ending as the strap match uh, between Savio Vega and Stone Cold Steve Austin, two in your houses ago. It wasn't a carbon copy. Bradshaw just dragged Vega around behind him, but didn't have the strap around his ankles. But it still ended with Vega touching the buckles behind Bradshaw's back and a tug of war, Which sent Vega crashing into the buckles for the victory. This was a boring match with a lazy finish, and it had been done twice in three In Your House events now. It was as if WWE, WWF I should say, thought that we were stupid and we'd forgot about the previous strap match, which was far, far superior to this one. Apart from the fact that they didn't have chemistry, and this was allocated at a paltry seven and a half minutes, the main problem was what had come before it. Namely, that fantastic bout between Savio Vega and Steve Austin at In Your House 8. Both men really went for it in that match. And with the limitation of the stipulation provided, there really wasn't anything else Vega or Bradshaw could have done had they been talented enough to do so. Which, you know, there's an argument to say one of them was. There's an argument to say the other wasn't. But then, most of you good people listening to this will probably say, 1996, neither was talented enough to do something completely different. The other downside to this was that it was the second consecutive match the live crowd had seen featuring Savio Vega. Now, I know I I said that at the beginning, but it's a, a fact worth hammering home. This was a crowd who loved ECW, die hard, blood, guts, hardcore wrestling fans, not a slightly overweight Puerto Rican who had arguably peaked at the 1995 King of the Ring one year earlier. It's not the start the audience wanted and it showed with their reaction. But at last we got something mildly entertaining on this show and we were only less than 11 minutes in. A video package aired for the rivalry between Jim Cornette and Jose Lothario. Though this was kept lively by Jim Cornette's promo, it was a basic hype video for the upcoming match. We saw a montage of Lothario training hard in the gym while Cornette ran him down on the microphone. As well as Jim Cornette training by being put in matches and getting beaten up, which was amusing. I love Jim Cornette. I'll always love Jim Cornette. He says some... Stupid shit, I listen to his podcast, I don't always agree with what he says, but I will always love Jim Cornette. And for me, he will always be the greatest manager of all time, tied right up there with uh, with Bobby the Brain Heenan. In reality, the pair had had time to work on their upcoming match, because they'd fought on house shows at the beginning of September, as well as at the WWF Experience in Canada the month before. The only time Cornet had won a match was when he teamed with Vader actually to defeat Shawn Michaels and Jose Lothario at a house show in Long Island New York. WWF could have made more of this video package by basing it around the Vader and Shawn Michaels feud and like the, the managers and trainers part in the rivalry. But it was pointless I guess because Shawn wouldn't work with Vader again in a serious manner. Although they did have 8 more matches on house shows and dark matches by the end of 1996. Sean actually agreed to do these on the understanding that they were short. uh, Vader was soft with him in the ring. And he went over relatively quickly. Because that's how you build stars folks. The camera then cut to a hallway in the back. Where Savio Vega was being beaten up by two people. Who looked suspiciously like Razor Ramon and Diesel. Now remember both Kevin Nash and Scott Hall had left the company a few months prior. The whole curtain call thing we've gone through that. They were happy in WCW. Certainly with the payday. But this was part of a much bigger story. Because in reality someone had cleverly fed the dirt sheets information. That Hall and Nash weren't happy with life in WCW. And would return to the WWF imminently thanks to an out clause in their contracts. Of course, this caused a stir around the company, which they, they needed on television, and it was left to Jim Ross to bring, or supposedly bring both men back to the company, which he had promised to do on air. This all turned out to be a ruse by Jim Ross, who would undertake a quick and forgettable heel turn in order to embarrass Vincent McMahon for firing him multiple times in the past. If you don't remember that feud, then you you're losing absolutely nothing. It it was awful. The reveal was awful. The whole thing was just instantly forgettable. For those who lived in a cave or didn't live through the 1996 WWF, Rick Bogner, the late Rick Bogner, would portray the fake Razor, and Kane Glenn Jacobs would portray the fake Diesel. Now they were never called fake Razor. And fake diesel on, uh, you know on television programming, they were just referred to as razor amone and diesel, but I've always called them fake razor and fake diesel. And so I shall carry on that tradition on this podcast. And that's all you really need to know, because they did nothing of note. There was no real storyline for them, and the angle, the casting, the storyline are complete and utter bust Jim Cornette versus Jose Lothario was the next match on this card now as Jim Cornette made his way to the ring and we saw the previous attack on Savio Vega Jim Ross began to build his heel turn by chastising Vince McMahon for never giving him any credit or having any faith in him to do as he promised and it was really odd to see Jim Ross take on the mantle of a heel And they should be given credit for trying something new in my opinion. Even if it was just polishing a turd in the guise of a storyline. Which it was in the long run. At least they tried something different. Jim Cornette gets on the microphone. And says that people get to see a real man tonight. He then calls Jose Lothario a legend. But says he's a broken down cripple. And he will give Jose a chance to walk away so he doesn't have to hurt him. Needless to say, Jose Lothario, at 66 years of age at this point in 1996, didn't back down. And this match was around 56 seconds because of the the limits of both men. Jim Cornette attempted to tackle Lothario from behind. Jose intercepted him, slapped him, punched him a few times, bounced him into the buckles, and then hit two hard punches for the victory. That was everything that happened in the match. I have just literally... Summed up an entire match. That was absolutely everything that happened. It couldn't have been any longer either. Because of Jim Cornette's ability in the ring and Lothario's age. And it makes you question why this was even booked in the first place. Uh, Some people will say, well, you know, you could have made it a tag team match with Vader and Shawn involved. But, on September the 18th Raw, after This In Your House aired... Vader and Jim Cornette actually beat Jose Lothario and Shawn Michaels in a tag team match on television. So why not keep it for that? Why inflict a, a singles match upon us? I understand it was fun seeing Jim Cornette, you know, the heel manager, get his comeuppance, etc. But at the same time, it's like this was a waste of our time. We were taken back to the WWF Superstar line where Mark Moreau was with Sable and Farouk was with Sonny. And they were speaking to the fans and Sonny just looked absolutely wow. We are told that Mark Moreau and Farouk would battle for the WWF Intercontinental Championship tomorrow night on Raw. The title had of course been held up in a tournament after Ahmed Johnson vacated the gold following the diagnosis of kidney problems after he won a battle royal to determine the number one contender to the WWF Championship before SummerSlam. Now, in order to give Ahmed an out and a storyline to return with later in the year, the company staged the attack by Farouk, who was credited with injuring the liver of Ahmed Johnson instead of his kidney. Now, Mark Moreau had defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin and Owen Hart, to reach the final, while Farouk defeated Xavier Vega and Psycho Sid. Mark Moreau would defeat Farouk to become the new WWF Intercontinental Champion the following night on Raw. Brian Pillman was out next, and Vince McMahon tells us that Pillman promised to deliver Bret Hart at In Your House 10, but had been embarrassed by Bret's comments from the previous weekend. Now, let's not forget, Bret Hart had Hadn't been seen on WWF television since losing the championship to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. But we were shown the video that Vince McMahon was speaking of. And it was from the WWF's World Tour of South Africa. Which Brett did compete on. Now during the tour he teamed with The Undertaker and Mark Moreau on different occasions. To defeat Owen and the Bulldog. And defeated the Bulldog and Steve Austin in singles action. You can hear my cold coming through now, can't you? It's hideous. But, in fact, Brett had been on the WWF's German tour, following WrestleMania, and competed in the WWF Kuwait Cup. But that wasn't known to the WWF television audience, because neither of those events, matches, tours, etc. were aired. I, I think you can get some of WWF's Kuwait Cup footage on the network now, but that may be like a match. Back to the video in hand, however, and Brett says that Brian Pillman is a liar and that he never made any commitments to be at In Your House. He also calls Owen a liar as well. When we're taken back to the live feed, Brian Pillman hasn't bothered to wait for the the feed to cut back in. And he's already started his promo. In In fact, he's gloriously halfway through it, at least. Because this was a Brian Pillman that gave no fucks. He stated that Pittsburgh is a sewer... And that the founding fathers of America were rolling in their graves. He says that Pittsburgh is filled with drug addicts and welfare recipients. And the live crowd are illiterate scum. It's always nice to endear yourself to an audience, isn't it? And on that note, he brings out Owen Hart. Now, this is where the segment really begins to drag. Brian Pillman was a natural on the microphone, but Owen Hart, not so much. And he delivered this promo in such a monotone manner that... It made me want to fast forward it, but I knew what was coming, because obviously, I've I've seen these events several times, and some I've not seen since I was a kid, but this is history, man. I said man, I never say man, I say man in in DMs to Travis, and and Rocky sometimes, and Logan, but never on a podcast, so uh, that's a first, Owen says that he and Brett reconciled after Brett admitted that Owen was better. And then he calls Brian Pill, which is just as creepy as me saying man. Thankfully, this segment is saved by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Who else? Who Owen Hart brings out after he says that Brett Hart is scared of Austin. Now, Steve is fantastic here. He's got that cold stare, those dead eyes. And after Brian Pillman asks him for his thoughts on Brett... Austin says that when he's in the house, Brett is in his house because he's scared, and that's the bottom line. Now, not only is this a fantastic promo by Austin, but we get that classic line, if you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you get my exact opinion of Bret Hart. Brilliant stuff. Now, this immediately elevated Austin to be a threat to Bret Hart, and it's worth sitting through for Pillman and Stone Cold. uh, It's great stuff if you could get past the Owen Hart bit, which is just dull and monotone. I love how they 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 didn't take the shackles off of Steve Austin, but this was still very much the ECW Steve Austin coming through in the, the the Stone Cold character. Didn't give a fuck what he said, didn't care who he upset, and even though he was having his a lot of his stuff actually written for him, they could have just took the handcuffs off and. And let him go because as the months and weeks wore on he would have I think less and less stuff written for him and he would start to inject his own material in there. Next up we see a video of Mark Henry walking around Pittsburgh and the video ends on a shot of the newly built arena and Vince talking about this almost comes in his pants is so excited, bless him, to talk about this arena and how and why it was built. He, he, you know, I, I swear, he, he ejaculates in his, his kicks, as we say, in the United Kingdom. Next up, WWF Tag Team Championship match. Champions, the Smoking Guns versus the British Bulldog and Owen Hart. Now, as Davey Boy and Owen are making their entrance... We're taken backstage to Doc Hendricks, who is in the trainer's room with a groggy Jim Cornette. And Jim is being attended to by the doctor. Now, while he's being seen to, Clarence Mason shoves a contract in his face and gets him to sign something. But because of the poor audio quality, and again, we're going to experience this in uh, in weeks to come as well, poor, poor audio quality. But because of the poor audio quality, we don't actually hear what Mason's saying to Jim Cornette. However, it does turn out that he duped him into signing over Davey and Owen to him. And that was basically the culmination of the entertaining storyline where Mason tried to sign all of Camp Cornet. Now, before the match begins, the split of the smoking guns is furthered during their entrance when Bart is ready for action and Billy is still making his way down the aisle with Sonny in tow. This causes Bart to yell at Billy to get in the ring and focus on the job in hand But who could blame him? There was only one job that uh, Billy Gunn was uh, thinking of, and that was coming from Sonny. The British Bulldog and Owen Hart unveil a poster of Sonny that they've doctored by drawing hair and a moustache on in black pen, and it's quite amusing. And at the bottom is written, All My Love Sonny. It's funny, because as soon as it drops from the rafters, Vince, Jim Ross and Mr Perfect immediately blame Owen. And it's a nice in-joke to those who know how mischievous Owen Hart was backstage with his pranks. When the match begins, Owen and Billy begin as Clarence Mason makes his way to ringside. Owen controls the opening moments with some lovely arm drags and a crossbody. It's refreshing that the bout features a host of breaks as well, because so far on this show, it's felt rushed in the ring. So they took the time. It was a positive step forward. There's a few nice moments on commentary during the early going here. Firstly, again, they start to build the Jim Ross heel turn by having him state that he wasn't trusted to get Razor and Diesel back to the WWF. And then he says that he should have been given the benefit of the doubt, just like Vince was when he was indicted, 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 is that how you say it in America? What a great line this was. Secondly, Clarence Mason gives Vince his business card. And Vince orates that Clarence comes from Sioux City. Get it? Or do you need a minute? Clarence Mason, the lawyer, who comes from Sioux City. Yeah, I'll move on. Anyway, now we've all seen how easily pleased I am, let's get back to this match. And Owen is making the smoking guns look like a million dollars. Even though Bulldog versus Bart is a bit clunky at the beginning. However, Davey turns that around and reverses a knee to the gut in a lovely roll-through schoolboy, drop kick tag to Owen. It's all really, really good stuff. The story of this bout takes effect with Owen back in. He goes to Bart's leg with a vicious chop block and he and Davey work on the leg of Bart like the pros they are. Now, this match really shows how technically sound Owen was in the ring. The things he does here are absolutely wonderful. Sometimes it's the little things that matter, you know. Sometimes it's the the little arm drags or the little leg lock that uh, that really play into the story. And this signals a series of quick tags between the heels, though I in mean, truth. And this this was a problem on next week's In Your House 11 as well. But we'll get to that next week. Both teams are heels here, so it's very much a case of pick your favourite bastard. Billy grabs the gun to vantage back by attacking the bulldog on the outside. And it's at this point in the match where Bart shows how little he's learned in three years. Because he completely neglects to sell the leg. Even though it's been the focus of the match. And the focus of the heels, well the second heels, offense. The champions botch a poetry in motion. Which is, it looks just sloppy. Bart is too far across the ring. And Billy lands hideously short with a awful sloppy clothesline however they do make up for it with an enjoyable story of billy constantly tagging out even though bart is injured just so he can flirt with Sonny on the outside because who wouldn't get your ass kicked by the british bulldog and owen hart or flirt with Sonny? i know which i'm doing but do remember that because it'll be important in just a few seconds because it furthered their breakup the guns hit the sidewinder on the bulldog but Owen comes off the top with a stiff forearm to Billy. Just like he used to with his, uh, his cast on, if you remember that. And with Billy out before he gets hurt, the in- end of the bout is initiated. The British Bulldog counters a running power slam. He shoves Bart into Billy, who is flirting with Sonny on the apron and thus not paying attention. Billy shoves Bart back into a running power slam from the Bulldog. And Owen clocks Billy with a spinning heel kick. As the Bulldog covers Bart for the victory. and new WWF Tag Team Champions. After the match. Sunny gets on the microphone. Screeches at the guns. And says that she gave them her money. Time and everything. And I do not doubt that at all. I'm surprised there wasn't a toll booth. At Tammy City's ankles. She'd have made an absolute fortune. She tells them that they're just wannabe cowboys. And then fires them. Billy runs after him like a lovesick puppy, not only has he lost his titles, he's lost his poontang, which, somewhat creepily, it sounds like he's shared with his brother in the storyline. Maybe that's the way of the West, I don't know, I've never been. This match was fine, I enjoyed it more than anything else on the show so far actually, and it showed how good Owen and Davey were together. It did slow in the middle when Billy and Bart were controlling Davy Boy, but aside from that, it had a logical story, and it actually furthered the split of the Smoking Guns going into In Your House 11. More on the split of the Smoking Guns next week for all you good, loyal listeners. Kevin Kelly's in the bowels of the arena with Mankind and Paul Bearer. Oh, yes! Paul says that Mankind will be the WWF champion and it was the fault of the creatures of the night that he turned on The Undertaker at SummerSlam. We haven't actually done a SummerSlam 1996 review so maybe that's that's in the works. Now you know all the stories around it. Mankind then cuts a terrific promo in which he says that misery and destiny are in store for Shawn Michaels tonight and he wants to make him feel the pain he's felt all his life. This is delivered to perfection and really makes you believe mankind is a legitimate threat to Shawn Michaels. Which of course Mick Foley was. He could have beat him with one or both arms tied behind his back. As shocking as the heel turn of Paul Bearer was at the time. And you can read more about it in my first book The Undertaker A Trip Down Death Valley. Looking back at it now it was such a turning point for the Undertaker character. It moved him away from the comfy, somewhat repetitive character he'd been since 1990 and sort of into more dangerous territory, if you like. And In effect, it forced him to evolve his style and image as well, uh, especially as this feud against mankind, it was arguably the making of Mark Calloway as a real in-ring legend, if you see what I'm saying. Some will disagree with me, and that's fine, but for me, Calloway didn't really become the master in the ring that we all know him as now. Until Mick Foley came along, yeah. Before this, he's had great matches with Bret Hart, Yokozuna, etc. But his feud with Foley really upped his game in the ring and turned him, or at least started to turn him into the the general of the squared circle, if you like. I'm not going to say ring general because that belongs to Walter in name, anyway. Mark Henry versus Jerry the King Lawler was up next. Now, this feud had been several months in the making. It had begun on the March 11th Raw when Mark Henry made his debut and was shown off to the crowd. He was interrupted by Jerry Lawler and Isaac Yankem. Lawler proceeded to berate Mark Henry, who then slammed Lawler when he tried a sneak attack. Yes, they dragged it out that long, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing was mentioned of it after that until the 5th of August Raw when it was announced that Mark Henry had signed a 10 year multi-million dollar deal with the company to compete. At SummerSlam Mark Henry provided commentary for the Jerry Lawler versus Jake Roberts match and intervened afterwards when Lawler poured alcohol down Roberts' throat. Not that he minded. Stepping in he scared Lawler away and helped Jake to the locker room. Now... This went on into Raw Championship Friday on September the 6th when Jerry Lawler conducted an in-ring interview with Mark Henry and told him that he and Jake Roberts had something in common. That would turn out to be that they both got bombed. Ha <laughs> ha. Isn't it all funny. Another shot at Roberts's alcoholism and after more confrontation Lawler challenged Henry to a match which he accepted. The pair then competed on house shows the night before In Your House 10 in Baltimore, just so they could refine this match and work out what they were going to do. Now, before the match begins, we see Jerry Lawler throwing coffee at Mark Henry from WWF Superstars earlier in the day, and then slapping Henry in the face on the In Your House free-for-all during a face-off. This it has got a history note attached to it, my friends, because this was Mark Henry's official in-ring debut but before the bout got going, Jerry Lawler was on the microphone and had something to say. Of course he did. He was the highlight often of these In Your House shows for me. But unfortunately we couldn't hear what he was saying because the commentators thoughtfully talked over the top of him and we didn't hear his entire speech. Honestly, the audio of this show was absolutely shocking. When we did hear him, he said that he hated the Olympics and had forgotten more about wrestling that Mark Henry would ever know. I mean, you know, no one can disagree with that. Mark Henry does a hammerlock to start. He pushes Lawler face first into the canvas. Then they repeat the move and he shoves Lawler into the buckles to assert his dominance. Jerry does a great job of throwing himself around to make Mark Henry look a beast. And he goes for a slam but obviously can't lift Mark Henry and just gets dropped with a gorilla press slam. Everything he tries here is overpowered, and Lawler takes a huge dive, and I mean a huge, dangerous headfirst dive straight through the middle ropes. There's nothing to to stop his fall. He collides headfirst with the guardrail, and it looked really good, but yeah, you know, because there was nothing to stop his fall, but it it was dangerous, and this is where the tide changed. Because Lawler grabbed something from the arena floor, wrapped it around his fist and once he was back his side he wailed away on Mark Henry with the foreign object to gain the upper hand. But because of Henry's size and weight it, he fought back, applied the shoulder breaker for the submission victory. After the match the new rockers and Hunterhurst Helmsley hit the ring but Mark Henry sent them to the outside. Now this was fine. It wasn't a huge spectacle, it wasn't exciting, but it was solid enough to debut Henry in the ring, and Jerry Lawler did a fine job of calling it. And in fact, if I'm not wrong, and Travis would know, Travis would be able to back me up here, it was basically the same match that Jerry Lawler worked with Junkyard Dog years ago, years before this. I think Mid-South, I might be wrong, but it worked an absolute treat. We were given a graphic for In Your House 11 Buried Alive and the first ever unsanctioned Buried Alive match between The Undertaker and Mankind. Vince tells us this will be the first ever unsanctioned match. Don't need to, Vince. I've already done it for you. And we'll have that for you next week right here on Union Smack. And we're actually clipping through these In Your Houses now at a fair rate, like one a week. I'm hoping to have this done for you by Christmas, but now NXT UK has resurfaced and we've got that weekly, or bi-weekly, or maybe once a month, depending on my my, my schedule, it could all change by Christmas, a video package airs to detail the rivalry between The Undertaker and Mankind and Goldust, now to, to be honest, at this point in time there isn't much more they could have told us about this feud. But to anyone who had lived in a cave, this was the perfect recap and lent more to the side of The Undertaker vs Goldust. As that was what we had next for a third, count them, third consecutive in your house. Now the video package begins all the way back in 1992 with a very young grey gloved Undertaker making caskets in his workshop. It's always nice to have a skill to fall back on, isn't it? It then showed us mankind attacking him with a mandible claw at the culmination of the casket match at In Your House 8, Beware of Dog, and mankind coming through the ring at In Your House 9, International Incident. We are then shown highlights of the Boiler Room Brawl match at SummerSlam and Paul Bearer turning on The Undertaker. Like I said, it was a very well done recap. But before we get into this final curtain match, I would just like to take this opportunity to remind you of our giveaway. If you've not listened to the previous week's editions of Union Smack, then I am giving away one free copy of my new book, NXT UK Year One. And all you have to do to win it is answer this question. Tell me how many casket matches The Undertaker and Yokozuna had between 1993 and the end of 1994 now these include casket matches on pay-per-view on house shows in dark matches and anywhere else i think i've summed that up pretty well better than i did last time when i first announced it actually the competition is open until october the 31st so don't put the answer in the in the comments below DM me on Twitter, or at me on Twitter, at the Perfect Tenant, and you'll be entered into the draw. Maybe people will enter, maybe they won't. If nobody enters, then nobody gets a, a free book. But it is worth entering, because if no one else enters and it's only you, then you win by default. So get your answers into me now. And The only clue I'll give you is it's many, many more than you probably ever thought. Final curtain match The Undertaker versus Gold Dust. And the stipulation to this is simple. There must be a winner. It must be via pinfall after the previous matches ended screwy. And of course, it must be The Undertaker. Now, I'm still astounded they managed to drag this out over three in your house events and basically four to five months because we had King of the Ring and SummerSlam in between these matches, in between these events. So, four months of The Undertaker and Goldust God, Goldust doesn't get his entrance here. He's already in the ring when the highlight package cuts back to the live feed. The Undertaker is fired up on his entrance and hits the ring like a demon. He immediately downs Goldust with a right hand and body shots in the corner before controlling with a hangman choke and a leg drop. Goldust drops him throat first over the top rope, and Marlena slaps him, but the Undertaker just sits up after a swinging net breaker. He's not playing anymore, and thank God, because we didn't need to see any more of these two in the ring, though in all fairness, the beginning was ample. The Undertaker then nails a hip toss, a suplex, an old school, but Marlena gives Goldust a small bag on the outside, and while the Undertaker is distracted, Goldust retrieves gold glitter from the bag. And throws it in the Undertaker's eyes. And as you'll probably guessed, This is where the quality of the match took a nosedive. One thing I have to add here. Is that the referee sees the gold glitter all over the mat. And the Undertaker clutching his eyes. But doesn't think a thing of it. Gold just chokes the Undertaker. And presses his face into the steel steps. Very Seth Rollins like. Yeah, if, you, if you've seen recent WWF, he chokes him, rams him into the announce table, and this is where I stopped concentrating because I hate glitter, and more so, I hate glitter when it gets on your skin. So, to see both men covered in it, and it was even in their hair, just in it, just, oh, it was off putting for me. And it was the same in the main event as well. It was all over their bodies. Like Shawn Michaels looked like something out of Twilight by the time the show went off the air. I shit you not. Goldust's Arsenal is so dull and weak and really slows this match down after a good start. Thankfully though, he's not in control for long and The Undertaker throws him into the corner and unloads on him. A flying clothesline, top rope choke slam, and Tombstone mercis- mercifully... Finish this match. I can't talk this week because of this cold. It started really well. It drew you in. But there's something about Goldust that drags the arse out of a match. And it's been the same with the last two bouts they've had. He just wasn't interested in the ring. You know he had the character. But that was where the intrigue ended with Goldust for me. Give this one a miss. Watch their casket match from In Your House 8 back. It's much much more entertaining. Kevin Kelly was backstage with Shawn Michaels. He says that mankind told him that Paul Bearer was leading him to his destiny. But everyone knows that Shawn Michaels' destiny is so, Oh, sorry, the WWF Championship. It wasn't even a question, which was good because Shawn's ability to answer here was severely impaired. As we play our new game, how many SOMAs has Shawn swallowed this week? My guess, probably won an hour since WrestleMania because he looked absolutely smacked off his tits here. Sean got through the promo though by the skin of his teeth. He said that he's never been nervous but can't wrestle Mankind and will find a way to get the job done. A few more somers, maybe. Kevin then asks him about Paul Bearer being at Mankind's side and if it spells more trouble. Sean says that he himself is whacked he certainly is during this and he hasn't got a lot going on upstairs to play mind games with again he's not sure how he'll get it done but he'll find a way he got away with this but how he got away with it is beyond me but you know he's sure michaels and finally we come to the main event of in your house 11 if you can hear that rustling it's just me going to my notes so yeah apologies WWF Championship match. Champion Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. There was very little build to this feud. Unusually. Especially since it was for the WWF Championship. But I suppose we can go all the way back to July the 29th Raw. For the beginning of this. When Mankind attacked Shawn Michaels. And he would do the same again. During the August the 9th Madison Square Garden show. With Shawn repaying the attack. Later in the night. Now after Mankind defeated the Undertaker at SummerSlam. It was announced on the August 19th Raw. That he would challenge Shawn Michaels for the WWF Championship. And at Raw Championship Friday on September 6th. Things heated up during Shawn Michaels' match with Goldust. During the bout we were shown Mankind backstage. Who promised he had a surprise for Shawn. And after the bout he ran through the crowd. In order to attack Michaels. But Sean escaped. That was it really. The build sadly didn't match the bout for quality. Druids bring a casket to ringside. And once the lid is lifted up we see mankind inside. The casket stays at ringside. And it telegraphs the end of the bout. And what's to come. Especially since Vince does his old trick of giving the game away with the line. I wonder if we'll see The Undertaker again tonight. Cheers Vince for spoiling the ending. Mankind begins the bout by pounding away on Sean, hits a lovely double clothesline over the top rope and with both men now on the outside, Mankind pulls up the protective padding but Sean drop kicks it into his face and jumps onto it with Mankind laying underneath. Already we can see this is a different Sean Michaels. Sean hits a diving crossbody to the arena floor and jumps off of the steps to drive Mankind into the concrete in a brutal spot. And when they return to the ring, Sean controls with fast punches and closed lines as the bout adopts a lovely little pace. Sean hits a flying elbow. Mankind throws himself from the ring to avoid switching music. Sean goes for another crossbody. But Foley walks away and Sean charges him in the corner yelling at him. Now an interesting note here is that many people thought this was classic Sean. Something went wrong, lost his temper because you know. I don't need to say it anymore. But in a shoot interview he did after he left the company in 1998, Sean actually said that because he got heat from the fans for shooting on Vader at SummerSlam, him and Mick Foley purposely put that spot in. And it worked. Mankind tried the mandible claw, which Sean fought off in a moment of drama, and the champion really connects with some stiff punches to the mask. You can just see him laying them in with intent. Outside, and Mankind pulls the announcer's table out, but Sean jumps it with a cracking attack as he suplexes Mankind into the steps. On landing, Mick Foley's leg really bashes against the stairs, and what follows is a logically booked segment where Sean works on the injured pin as they fight atop the casket. Sean then slaps the referee, because you know, is sure, Michaels, and doesn't get disqualified. But Mankind counters Hurricane Rana and drops him throat first over the top rope. By now, this match is already a classic, and the crowd absolutely love it. Mankind stabs his own leg with a pencil to get the feeling back into it, and hits two tree of wo- tree of woe, sorry, elbow drops, but misses a running knee into the steel steps. This goes back and forth. Sean traps Mankind's head in the ropes. Mankind applies their mandible claw as Sean comes to attack. Sean attacks the knee with a steel chair on the outside and takes to trying to break the hand that Mankind uses for the mandible claw in another logical series of moves. Sean then takes a nasty back body drop over the top rope and Mankind hits his apron to the floor elbow drop as they do a wonderful job of making Sean seem in legitimate trouble. There's a wonderful near fall on the double arm DDT and then Mankind tries to trap Sean inside the casket only for the champion to fight back. The bout spills to the top rope and Mankind tries a back suplex to the outside but Sean turns and reverses it into a crossbody through the announcers table which is just amazing to watch. Mankind takes the chair that Sean batted him with earlier and goes back up top. But Michaels takes flight off of another chair with a flying switch in music. Hits the steel chair. It rebounds into mankind's face. Knocks him from the top rope. And then down comes Vader for the disqualification ending. Even though he never touches Sean. So Sean slapping the referee. All the hardcore action. None of that was a DQ worthy. But Vader just getting into the ring was. The ending is a bit of a cop out. But it protected both men, you know, going into the rest of the year. Sean fights off Vader, but gets hit over the head with the urn by Paul Bearer. Vader then tries to get back in, but is stopped by Psycho Sid, and those two battle up the aisle. Mankind then applies the Mandible Claw to Sean, and when he goes to roll him into the casket, the Undertaker is inside, and he chases Mankind up the aisle. Sean then poses in the ring, shows his bum cheek, and celebrates with fans and commentators, but shuns Mr. Perfect to end the event. This was an absolutely fantastic match. Booked perfectly, both men did their job. In fact, I think this could be, you know, thinking back, I've seen a lot of matches, but this could be one of the most perfectly booked matches In WWF history just for the way both men worked their way around the normal match stipulation with the hardcore elements. The only gripe is the time. Now this was close to 30 minutes and though it was full of action there was a slight sense of repetition by the end. Had they shaved 5 minutes off of this then maybe it would have been even better than it already was. The dark matches after In Your House 10 went off the air. Jake Roberts defeated Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Farouk defeated Mark Moreau and Psycho Sid defeated Vader. Now in Your House 10 Mind Games was a good addition to the franchise even though it couldn't match its predecessors for quality, at least in my opinion. Three of the six matches were rushed or poor and two of those lasted, what, just over eight minutes combined and it, yeah it doesn't take too much to skip through them. Mark Henry's debut was a riotous success and the WWF Tag Team Championship match was very entertaining and plus you've got the main event which should be on everybody's list to see before they die. This was a drastic change in image as well and presentation for the WWF as where In Your House 9 had felt very much rooted in what they were still trying to escape from uh, from 1995, this time around there was a distinct grittiness to everything and the company moves swiftly towards the Attitude Era and the reign of, of Stone Cold Steve Austin so with all that said for me this gets a B- minus. now I, I know sometimes my, my grading is all over the shop I gave you know some better shows a worse score and some worse shows a better score but I'm looking at the bigger picture here I'm looking at everything combined so a B-plus for In Your House 10 skip the bad definitely watch the main event you owe it to yourself and that is this week's in your house review i can't thank you all enough for joining me i apologize for the cold the voice i'm pretty sure has sounded a bit shit this week Uh, my breathing hasn't been great either but thank you for sticking with me I promise I will try and get it better for next week. I'll try and get rid of this cold, the blocked nose, the coughing. The coughing when you've got a cold is just absolutely hideous. Stops you doing everything. And once again, thank you for bearing with me on this journey while Travis is away dealing with personal family matters. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at The Perfect Tenant, unionsmack.bigcartel.com for all your merchandise needs from all of Travis's shows, and lulu.com where you can pick up a copy of my first and second book, The Undertaker a Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One. For now, though, my friends, once again, thank you, a million thank yous. Join me next week, hopefully for a doubleheader, NXT UK and in your house 11 i'm gonna get out of here i'm gonna rest my voice thank you very much cheerio mates